Hello, this is Rob Thomas with Club Resort Talks. On this episode, we chat with golf course architect Trip Davis, principal at Trip Davis and Associates. We'll chat about everything from his days as a collegiate golfer at the University of Oklahoma to his work on the innovative practice facility at OU. And what design trends have hurt the golf industry? Also, what's the future of golf course architecture? Hope you enjoy. Thank you, Trip, for taking the time to join us. Glad to be here. Hey, Trip, let's get right into it. You've made your career golf, so obviously you love the game. When did you start playing golf? I was nine years old, and I grew up near Atlanta, and my um, uh, we were down at my grandparents' house, and my mother, I think, had had enough of me, and so she gave me over to her uncle, who was getting ready to go out to, there was a local course there in Hogansville, Georgia, and uh, it was just a nine-hole course, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the courses that, there were a lot of them that were built as nine-hole courses, but I think prominently in the south but there was a elk i think it was an elks lodge course maybe and so it was basically nine you know holes in the ground uh, there wasn't much design to it although you know i've actually i played it a couple of years ago i was back and it's still open but he took me out there and and apparently they couldn't get me off the golf course and and away i went from humble beginnings to to what you got now huh well yeah it's still a game isn't it but uh yeah it was uh yeah, just the joy of playing the game is something I've always had. Well, that leads me to my next question. Uh, I, I imagine because of your love for the game, it kind of led you toward golf course architect. Well, when I was a kid, I you know I started playing junior golf when I was 11, and you know this was that would have been in 1978, and that was about the time that you know you started seeing people do yardage books. And I think I watched television at some point, and, and they had made a comment about uh, Jack Nicholas having charted all the golf courses that he played and, you know, how that was a secret to success. And, and so when I was, I think I was 11, when I started charting golf courses. And so, you know, I was playing nine-hole Atlanta Junior Golf Association events, and I'd get my mom to uh, drive me out to the course we were going to play some time ahead. And... You know, and and, um, and just walked it, and then I'd take notes, and and uh, I, unfortunately I still don't have those yardage books, but I would draw them, and it got me to you know thinking more about the way the course should be played, the way it was designed, and and so when I was young, I was really kind of enamored with with golf course architecture, and so um, I actually got interviewed by the Atlanta Journal when I was 15. I just played really well in some junior tournaments, and then they did a little interview piece on me in the paper, and and they said, "What do you want to do? And you, you know, do you want to play on the PGA Tour?" And I said, "Well, maybe, but I, I definitely want to be a golf course architect." So it's something I wanted to do early on, and uh, I ended up going to play golf at the University of Oklahoma, um, and uh, at the time I actually wanted to study landscape architecture, and when I got to Norman. Um, and they sat me down with my counselor, you know, the, the athletic department, academic counselor. He says, um, so what do you want to do? And I said, landscape architecture. And he goes, no, they're not going to let you do that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, because it's very time consuming. And so I, after I played golf and I dabbled for about a year and a half trying to play professionally, I went back to school and got my master's degree in uh, landscape architecture at OU. And I had a chance to go work for some of the bigger names, but in 1994, the uh, 
state of Oklahoma was getting ready to do some state park golf course projects, a couple of renovations, actually just one renovation, one new course that was nine holes and one new that was 18. And, and a friend of mine, an architect, said we ought to go after these, and we ended up getting um, uh, the nine-hole renovation and the nine-hole new course, and so uh, away I went. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, so obviously your time in Oklahoma – made it uh, uh, an extra special. Let me, let me circle back real, real quick. Four years ago and a day, you appeared on the American Golfer blog uh, in a getting to know feature. Today, uh, we're talking, obviously, about everything that's happened prior to that, after that, and what's going to happen in the future. But most recently, you and I talked about a, um, a short course article I was writing for Club and Resort Business. And uh, that brings me to back to the University of Oklahoma and the Ransom course. Can you talk a little bit about what you've done, not just with the Ransom course, but at OU in general? Well, it was um, – um, I'm, I'm getting fuzzy with the years, but I, I think it was around 20 – 12, 2013, somewhere in there, and um, uh, Rodney Young, who is, is still the general manager at uh, uh, at the OU, OU course, um, yeah, saw that there was a need to um, do some renovation work, and you know there was uh, there was a lot of talk about doing some things to change the course up a little bit. Um, Bob Cup had been in there in 1994. Um, and did a, a renovation to the original Perry Maxwell course, and I thought he did a really good job. There were some areas where we looked at, you know, we often thought, well, you know, it'd be kind of cool if we could move that green over here instead. So when, when Rodney started looking at that, he called me, and we went out and looked at it, and we actually we ended up doing a master plan, and part of that master plan included uh, moving the entry road, which would give us some room to do a... Um, uh, a bigger practice area for the, the OU golf teams. And, um, you know, the OU golf program um, has, a, you know, a long history. It's, you know, it's it's always played second fiddle in some ways to Oklahoma State. But, you know, the history at OU is, um, you know, would match up to most other programs really well. Um, kind of hard sometimes to match up to Oklahoma State's uh, legacy. But, um so, you know, there was a lot of interest in, in doing things to help the program. And um, uh, Ryan Hibble, who had just become the coach at, at the time, um, you know, was really interested in doing something that would allow them to practice a lot of different ways. And, and, and I think it was about 12 acres we had to work with. And we came up with the idea of doing a four-hole practice course, you know, type short course type deal, and we we wanted to do it in a way that um, it could be just a big playground and would give the players the ability to play play and practice every shot from the tee ball to just, you know, hitting shots around the green. And uh, we had to keep a water tower that was there, and so we played around the water tower basically with four greens, and there aren't any formal tee boxes per se. I mean, there are a couple areas that are flat, but it's really all mown as fairway with the exception of some rough along the edges and along the greens to be able to practice that. But um, uh, it was just a blast to do this. And, and it's, uh, you know, as soon as it opened um, in 
2017, and you know the kids got to use it some that spring, and and um, uh, they won the national championship. So the, uh, I think it, it it worked out okay. The the golf course was really more about um, upgrading the condition of the course. Um, uh, the the bunker design was a bit of a problem. Um, and so we went in and we changed some things around and kind of went back to more of a, McKen uh, a Maxwell style of bunker, you know, inspired by McKenzie because those two had done some de you know, decent amount of work together. And, uh, and it would give us the ability to do something, you know, offset the site a little bit better or set the site off a little bit better. And uh, so we spent about five years doing tees first, and then we did bunkers, and we've done six greens to this point. You know, the rest of the uh, greens Mr. Cup did are, um, you know, still pretty good. There's a few more we'd like to do, but it's turned out exceptionally well, and, you know, it was a lot of fun working at home. It's, uh, it's a little bit of a unique experience, though, when you're, when you're working at, you know, your home university and, and – uh, um, um, you know, and, and trying to make sure everything gets done the way you want to, and it's uh, it's a little different, but um, it, it turned out really well. Well, I've seen pictures of the short course and the uh, water tower specifically, and I think it really works. It, I, it adds to the design. I think it looks looks fantastic. Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, it's actually one of the water sources for the golf course um, because we use that tower to. Take affluent water. Um, I may get this wrong. I, um, there's a tower and there's a vault, and one of the vaults we get uh, uh, fresh water, and then we've got another tower or vault. I can't remember which one it goes into now, but um, affluent water from the city of Norman um, is how we irrigate most of the golf course, and then the greens and property line areas are, more, are watered with uh, fresh water. Um, but it's uh, you know you can see it from all over campus and 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 even really parts of Norman, so it's kind of iconic. On a personal note, did it hurt you to say something nice about Oklahoma State? No, you know, <laughs> um, I, I'm a little bit different um, than you know because I grew up in Atlanta, and so I didn't grow up with that rivalry, and. Um, um, you know, I, I, I looked at it as more fun. Um, you know, when I first came to you, the golf coach at the time was David Yates. And um, in our first tournament my freshman year, we were going to be paired with Oklahoma State in the first round. The night before the first round, you know, David made sure. And there were three freshmen playing that week. Uh, we had Doug Martin, um, who ended up having a you know long PGA Tour career, and Craig Perks, who won the players one year. And, you know, we had three freshmen on that team, and then Grant Wade and Todd Hamilton. Well, you know, we had a pretty good team that year. Um, but the, um, you know, our coach said, "Hey guys, you know, we're playing with Oklahoma State. You know, I don't want you to take any, you know, BS off of them. I, you know, if they give it back, if they give it to you, give it back to them as good or better." And um, um, so the first round I was playing with EJ, or it might have been the second round I was playing with EJ Fister, uh, who you know, ended up winning a national championship individually at Oklahoma State. And Coach Holder was following us around for some reason, and it rained the whole week before. And um, uh, so EJ had has size about 13 shoes. He's about 5'10", but he's got these huge feet. And at the time, 
he weighed about maybe 220. And um, so he gets in to take this shot, and he says, Trip, I've got casual water. And I weighed about 140, and I've got a nine-and-a-half you know, shoe. And I step in there, and I kind of tried to lightly get in there. And, and I said, EJ, I don't know. And he comes over and just starts you know, throwing his feet around. There's water splashing everywhere. And so Coach Holder kind of gets a little closer at this time. And I looked at EJ, and I said, EJ, if you weren't such a fat, ass uh, with you know, clown shoes, it wouldn't be casual water. <laughs> and uh, Coach Holder just, uh, he, he couldn't hold himself in. He had to laugh and he had to walk away. But So I've always looked at it as more fun. And, and I ended up marrying a girl from Oklahoma State, and I actually now have a daughter who's a junior at Oklahoma State. So um, it's all in good fun. You know, I was introduced to the rivalry uh, myself through uh, Rick Brott, who's the owner of the territory down in Duncan, and mm -hmm. um, Randy Heckenkemper, who uh, designed the territory. Rick's uh, mm -hmm. an OU alum, and Randy's a, a OSU guy. So uh, they mm -hmm. had fun with each other. Obviously, they worked really well together because the territory is a beautiful golf course. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, the, you know, the, our biggest rival, really, I mean, you know, is, in my opinion, is more Texas. Um, and there's a little bit of back and forth between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, but, you know, um, I think it's all in pretty good fun. And, um, you know, around here, most every golf course superintendent went to Oklahoma State. And so, you know, I work with them a lot. And uh, Kevin Carpenter, who is the superintendent down at Northwood in Dallas that we redid a couple of years ago and I've become you know very good friends and he's an Oklahoma State grad so uh, we can all get along. Hey uh, getting back to design um, in your opinion have there been any design trends that have hurt the game? Yeah I think um, you know the biggest thing to me has been the lengthening of golf courses um, you know I'm I'm one of those that uh, is an advocate for, um, um, yeah. If you if the way you combat length is not with length, and um, uh, there's you know there's no question in my mind that I mean I've you know I've had this discussion with a lot of people before that if we were to play Harbor Town um, and Colonial every week on tour or something like that, the players wouldn't hit it as far as they do today, and you would see a greater balance um, on tour as to those players that would win, you know, and and um, um, the biggest issue I see is that we went through this period of lengthening golf courses just uh, significantly. Uh, part of it was, you know, the initial reaction was a knee-jerk reaction to Pro V1 and, and you know, um, and then metal woods and graphite shafts and, you know, and more athletes being, you know, playing the game. But I think they, I think the rubber band just went too far. And, um, you know, we, and it's not proven to be the solution. I mean, you know, they played, uh, I think someone shot 24 under par on a 7,800 yard long Medina golf course. And, uh, uh, but at 7,800 yards long, you know, the, Gene Littler, for instance, that type of player, you know, Justin Leonard being that type of player in more of the modern era, they can't compete on a weekly basis on that golf course. And I think that's hurt the game. Not only the, for the, you know, the PGA Tour players, but we've seen it kind of lengthen all golf courses. And uh, I just think the game, you know, it would be better served uh, on all fronts if we, if we, 
use design more to to challenge players um, rather than just length. Yeah, I know as a golfer myself, and uh, I'm an eight handicap, so nothing spectacular, but I've seen a lot of guys that I play with want to go back to the tips and play from 72 mm -hmm. or whatever 100 yards the the yardage is and it's you know for me 66 is my yardage that's pretty much where I like to play and uh, so mm -hmm. I can do that I can choose my tee I can go up to the white tee or the blue whatever is uh, color-coded but uh, it seems like a lot of people are just tempted to go back there just for uh, I don't know for for shits and giggles well you know it's uh I personally like, you know, I'm with you. I mean, you know, I have a lot of fun at 6,600 yards, and I'm 52 now, so I, uh, I don't hit it quite as far as I used to. Um, um, but um, I have more fun playing at that distance, and what you find often is that when you go to and you play that distance, the golf course is going to present itself more strategically to you anyway because you don't have to hit driver on every hole. And so you can you can choose a little bit better and play the game in a little bit more pure form. You know, um, if I go play 7,200 yards long, I've got to hit driver. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking less about where to position my ball and more about just hitting it as hard as I can and, and trying to get it somewhere to where I can hit the next shot. And so... Um, I have I find it's a lot more fun, and you know I've got a lot of older friends that don't want to go up and play you know the most forward tee, and you know which often is too long for the ladies, but you know at 5,600 yards long or so, and if I'm still be able to play at 80, and and I'm gonna have more fun at 5,600, I'm playing there. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a uh, do you have a specific design philosophy? Um, you know, the, the the main thing that I try to focus on is the play of the game, um, you know, relative to how all players that may play the course in particular we're working on um, that may play that course. Um, and uh, so, you know, my my design philosophy is, is more about making the game as strategic as it can be and um, as fun as it can be, um, while at the same time paying attention to how we can alter the setup of a golf course to make it more challenging. I like what we end up doing to be pliable between setting it up to where it's more playable, um, more fun to play, and then being able to reduce the margins for error with course setup. And that's the big difference between um, what challenges the better player and what makes it enjoyable for uh, your average player, and that's that that's what I call margins for. So that's one of my design philosophy elements is is paying attention to margins for error and realizing that a scratch golfer is trying to shoot even par, um, and you as an eight are are trying to break 80, and um, so your margins for error are going to be larger. Um, they should be larger because you're not trying to shoot even par. The guy that's trying to shoot even par has got to hit some shots during the round where the margins for error are smaller. And so uh, to the extent that I can create a golf course that has that pliability so that we can move a pin to this location, maybe speed the greens up a little bit, um, and, and reduce the margin for error for the better player, while at the same time the next week, you know, slow the greens down a little bit, move the pin, and widen the margins for error for the average player. You know, that's the basic design philosophy that I have. Um, 
from a we do a lot of renovations and restorations, and so from a style perspective, that our style generally tends to go with what we're working with. Um, you know, if it's a restoration, we're trying to put it back to the um, stylistic intent that that architect had. Um, if it's a renovation, we you know we might, it might be something that we're doing relative to the land. Um, relative to you know what can be maintained and and so forth. Now this is uh, I'm going to apologize in advance for this que question because uh, it's like picking your favorite child. But of all the holes you've designed, do you have a favorite? Holes that I've designed. Um, uh, the of uh, the new courses I've done. Um, number uh, sixteen at Old American. Uh, down in Dallas, which is actually going to play as number 15 when they have the LPGA there next month. Um, it's a short, drivable par 4, but there's about 10 different ways you can play it. And uh, um, probably one of my favorite holes that we've, we've ever done as it relates to uh, strategic variety options, playability, being able to reduce the margins for error. Um, and we can set that hole up to where you know the the LPGA girls are gonna, you know, you know they if they make four and get out of there, they're good. And you know this hole's only gonna play about 320 uh, for them, and sometimes even shorter. So that's that's one. Um, you know, but like you said, it's like picking a favorite child. And and uh, uh, we've been fortunate to do 19 original courses, and we're on our 57th renovation. So. Um, a lot of holes out there, but that's one that, for whatever reason, just popped in my mind right off the top. And, uh, along those lines, uh, do you have a dream foursome? Thinking about who you'd want to play, and it could be alive, dead, golfer, non-golfer. I've had somebody actually answer Jesus Christ as one of his uh, <laughs> people in his foursome. Uh, but, you know, hey, any, any of your foursome, and I'll give you three other golfers to play with, anybody you uh, you want to tee it up with? Well, Jesus could walk on water, so that would, <laughs> you know, he might be able to go get balls that we've hit over there. But, um, you know, uh, my dad was not much of a golfer, um, but uh, he enjoyed the game. And, I, you know, I didn't get to play enough with him, and I would really like to have a chance to do that again. Um, my uncle that took me out the first time, his name was uh, J.M. Denny. Uh, he lived in Noonan, Georgia. Um, was uh, ended up being the uh, uh, president of his club there. Noonan, I think it's Noonan Country. It might be a there might be a different name. I'm drawing a blank, but it might be Noonan Country Club. Um, but uh, uh, I didn't get to know him exceptionally well. But I knew him up until I was in my mid 20s before he passed away. And he was just a fun, great guy. And then uh, another uncle I had um, who was the Greens chairman at um, um, uh, Sunset Hills in Carrollton, Georgia, was just loved to play the game, and, and was, he was just funnier than hell too. And he um, he actually ended up with diabetes, and he had to have both of his big toes, left and right, uh, removed at one point. And so he had golf shoes made <laughs> that had you know stubs in the end of them, so he could keep playing golf. And um, that's dedication. Um, yeah, so I mean, you know, the chance to go play with those three guys would, you know, would be pretty cool. 
I got a couple of forward, uh, forward-looking questions for you here. First, is there a bucket list uh, location you like to design on? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's. Uh, um, I'd love to do something on sand by the water. Um, you know, right on the water. Um, yeah, we we had a chance to do a, a new course in Acapulco that was on sand, and it was actually in ancient dunes. The dunes had been removed, at you know, for various reasons. That, but that was a pretty cool project to do. But um, you know, the ability to do something that would be, uh, you know, on a, uh, you know, to be able to build a golf course on pure lynx land, for example, would be, um, you know, really cool to me. Um, the, um, you know, the I really actually do enjoy doing renovations and restorations too. And so, um, you know, some of my bucket list courses I'd like to work on eventually one day. I mean, it'd be, um, I just, I love Augusta National. I, I grew up, um, you know, around that lore and, and, uh, that would be a pretty good bucket list item to be able to knock off one day to be able to, you know, to, uh, be involved in some way from a design perspective there. Okay, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pair pair something together for you. Uh, first of all, what, what's the future of golf course design? And two, I guess this is a two part question. Uh, what can a golf course architect do to counter? And you had mentioned this earlier about uh, you don't fight length with length. But uh, so, what's the future of golf course architecture? And what can you do as a as an architect to counter uh, the advancements in technology that are sending the ball farther and farther? Well, I think, you know, I hope that those two things are, you know, are not mutually exclusive. I think, I hope that the future of golf course architecture uh, involves doing things to um, to counterbalance the, the impact of uh, length that we see today. And, um, you know, there's, there's a couple of different ways to look at the future of golf course architecture. The... The challenging thing being is that you know everything is cyclical and and um, the golf industry is is uh, it, you know is, is expanded and shrunk and expanded and shrunk and you know we're reportedly in a more of a shrinking period now and um, so I think the tough thing is going to be to uh, for the, the the practice of golf course architecture the business of it is. Is there's going to be less work out there, I think, going forward. Um, and uh, the thing that that troubles me about, you know, more so than how it may impact my business, is more the fact that it's going to be hard to bring young people on to the industry. And um, um, so the future of golf course architecture is going to rely on on the architects that we have today, um, uh, you know, and bringing in some young guys and trying to foster them and, you know, and, and in some ways sacrificing to do that. Um, and uh, so hopefully that's one part of it. The, um, as it relates to, um, you know, combating length and how that goes into the business of golf course architecture, where it's going in the future, um, I think that the the way that we combat length is is going to have to be somewhat a change in design, and uh, it's it becomes harder and harder to to narrow those margins for error that I mentioned earlier. Uh, to where um, I think what we're going to have to do more so is to look at ways that we 
require those longer players to be able to show the, the ability to play um, the game without using drivers there is their greatest strength on uh, you know throughout the entirety of a round and so that means you know to some extent uh, it can mean bunkering it can mean the way we use dog legs uh, it's certainly going to need to mean the way we create angles into greens and um, the challenging part of that for historic restoration or you know restoration of some sort is is going to be that there's a lot of golf courses out there that um, when they were 7,000 yards long in 1980, and the way that they were built, designed, uh, they they weren't being overpowered with length. Um, and we also had the the factor of you know playing with golf equipment that wasn't near as consistent as we have today. I mean, when you hit a cut shot in 1980, uh, you had to try to hit a cut shot, and you had to allow for that. Um, uh, if you wanted to hit a draw, you had to. You had to really, you know, you had to make sure that you were drawing it. Um, you didn't see too many players hitting two-yard cuts and two-yard draws. And um, so it, the angles were more important. Um, today, they can, you know, we can hit the ball pretty straight, and our distance control is pretty good. Our, our equipment is such that uh, it's very consistent, and we're playing on golf courses that are, um, you know, better and better manicured. So you're not playing from poor laws very often during the fairway. And um, so the, the, the paradigm of how we look at the way to challenge players has got to change. And um, it's got to change in the way that we, we uh, uh, position bunkering. It's going to change in the way we position anything that's going to challenge the player. It's going to change in the way that we have to create angles in the greens and, and distance control challenges. And so, um, um, it, you know, for the, without doing a lot of new golf courses these days, that type of approach to design is going to be filtered into renovations and restorations. And the challenging part is going to be convincing a club that, you know, you, you might need to change a little bit from this old historic green where Bobby Jones made a, you know, a 20 footer to win the U S open. Um, so it's, there's challenging times ahead, but I think it's really exciting because I think there's a lot of different things that we can be doing to, to improve the game um, and, and combat length is, you know, and, and one is one of those. And uh, so I, I have, you know, I've, I'm 52, so I've got, you know, hopefully another 25 years in the industry and, and I see things being pretty, pretty interesting going forward. I just hope there's enough work out there to be able to foster young people into the profession. Well, hopefully there'll be another boom and uh, you know, a more sustainable boom uh, the next time around, mm -hmm. as opposed to like a lot of the residential courses that are being, I don't want to say blamed for it, but uh, you know, the courses were popping up so quickly in the uh, late eighties and early nineties. Yeah. Well, there was, you know, when I first got into the business, you know, we were, we were building five to 600 courses a year. And uh, that was pretty sustainable until, you know, uh, early 2000s. It was a bit of a blip, but, you know, we, we kept building a lot of golf courses up until 2007. And, uh, um, you know, and I've, I've actually, I've talked to, Reese Jones is one person I talked to about this, and I said, you know, what do you think? And he goes, well, it's hard to say because, in the late 60s, early 70s, I would have told you that all we're going to do for the rest of our career is, is renovations and restorations. 
or you know do rework existing courses i don't know if they even thought of it as restoration back then so much but um you know so and then obviously we came out of that and ended up with another boom but um it's hard to say you know i think the the economics of golf um um, you know, we're at a point now, I think, where they're, uh, we're going to have to get more golfers into the game before we start building a lot, a lot of new golf courses. Certainly. Hey, uh, you're a member of the uh, American Society of Golf Course Architects. Can you tell us a little bit about the organization and what it does for, uh, for architects? Well, ASTCA is, um, you know, it's a, it's a peer group, and... Um, um, you know, I'm very proud to to be a member. I've been fairly involved at times. Um, the last few years, I've been not quite as involved, uh, um, just from um, wanting to spend more time, yeah, you know, doing the work that we do. Um, I've gotten in my older age where, you know, a lot of guys seem to want to pare down and and uh, you know spend less time on sites and maybe have their younger guys do more work and I'm I've been the exact opposite so um, I haven't been quite as involved in the ASGCA but I will tell you that uh, it's a wonderful group of guys I mean um, um, there's very few people that I run into that are members that um, are not just good people and. Um, encouraging and and so forth and uh, um, you know there not as much competition as you would think in in certain ways I mean you know they there's a little bit of jabbing that goes on here and there but um, um, which I'm not very good with I don't like getting jabbed <laughs> but uh, you know it, it it's few and far between and and so yeah, you know, we have an annual meeting every year in which we get together, we play um, some golf, and then we spend a decent amount of time sitting around just discussing the the, um, the industry and and uh, design trends and and so forth. So it's a, you know it's it's good to have that back and forth. And then they put on a lot of other events that that we can be a part of. You know, we're we're actually uh, a bunch of us are going down to the Hoopy Match Club. Um, mid-October, and I think there's about 70 guys. I don't think all of which are ASGCA members. I think there's some, you know, architects that aren't in the ASGCA that are going to be there. But the ASGCA has been somewhat of a part of. Actually, I think they've been a big part of putting it together. And um, so they they foster uh, you know dialogue amongst the architects to learn from each other. And uh, Chad Ritterbush, the the uh, um, the director of the ASGCA has done an excellent job, in my opinion, with being a lobbyist for not only the golf industry but for golf architects in general, and you know, trying to get people to understand that no matter how small your issue may be on a golf course, you you want to involve a, uh, and he'll tell you an ASGCA member um, to um, to be involved, make sure that. What you do is sustainable, not only from an environmental perspective, but from an economic and playability perspective. Um, and so they, you know, they've done a really good job of promoting us as a as a profession and fostering really good dialogue amongst everyone, so that we kind of all learn from each other. That's a wonderful thing. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you out of here on this question. What's next for Trip Davis? 
Well, we uh, we just finished up doing Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club, so that's going to be my next project to open. Um, it's a really good old uh, Perry Maxwell, Alistair McKenzie design. This, you know, I mentioned earlier that they did some work together, and and this was one of them. Um, and um, so we just finished construction within the last um, week, and um, we're hoping to have um, the course open for some limited play by the end of the year and then, you know, fully open next spring. And so that's the next opening. And then um, I didn't get much of a break this fall because we're starting next week. Um, uh, we're doing a phase project at Rolling Hills Country Club in Wilton, Connecticut, um, um, which is a really neat old property, um, r really good old golf course that we've been working on for a few years now. And We've uh, got another phase of work we're doing this fall. And uh, next year, um, as of right now, it looks like we are um, going to start on a, um, a, a reconstruction of a golf course at Green Tree Country Club in Midland, Texas. So um, get to stay somewhat close to home uh, there, although it's, it's about a seven-hour drive, six-and-a-half-hour drive, seven-hour drive from here. But... Um, um, it's uh, it's a really neat uh, opportunity for us. Hey, uh, Trip, thank you very much for your time. And hey, anybody who wants to learn more about what uh, Trip is up to, check out tdagolf.net. Uh, Trip Davis and Associates. Thank you very much for your time, Trip. You bet.